Fixate on Code, Episode 9. Oh yes, Larry Porter here and you're listening to Fixate on Code, the weekly bite-sized podcast where I talk to the best devs about their favorite strategies for writing great code. And today I'll be chatting with Anjana Vakil. Hi Anjana and thanks for chatting with me today. Hi Larry, great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Anjana is a philosophy major and English teacher turned computational linguistics aficionado. After completing graduate studies in speech technology, machine learning, and computer-assisted language learning, Anjana joined the engineering team at Uber Research in Germany, where she is implementing a query language that interfaces with scientific research funding data. Anjana, can you fill in some of the gaps in that intro and tell me a little bit about what you get up to when you're not writing code? Sure. Yeah. So as you said, I, uh, in university studied philosophy and also uh, foreign languages, things like French and German. And I really loved languages and uh, philosophy of, of language, how it interacts with our theories of mind and uh, social issues and things like that. And so eventually, a couple of years after graduating, I started uh, teaching English as a foreign language, which I found was, was a really great uh, way to spend my days as I got to talk to people from all over the world and learn a lot more about their languages and their cultures. And while I was doing that, I started to get uh, interested in linguistics kind of as a discipline. So I started studying that on the side and I discovered that there is such a field as computational linguistics, which I had no idea about until well after my college years. Um, I found it was really interesting because it was, you know, instead of doing linguistics, the old fashioned way of sitting around in uh, armchairs and trying to think up strange grammatical examples, uh, it was actually people, you know, grabbing huge data sets and using computational and statistical methods, things like that, to, to process them and to find out what's actually going on here. And then using that information to create really awesome uh, human language technologies, things like speech recognition, um, computer-assisted language learning, like you mentioned, things where we could we could actually use a computer to help people uh, work on their pronunciation or practice uh, grammar points that are hard for them, things like that. So I decided I wanted to go back to school and um, and study that more formally. I did a master's in that uh, here in Germany, and uh, while I was uh, in that master's and learning more about um, computers, how they work, programming them, telling them what to do, I sort of fell in love with software development. And so after completing my graduate studies, I uh, went to a really fantastic programming retreat in New York City called the Recurse Center, where I sort of, the, the world of software and computer science kind of blew wide open for me. And I started trying to learn as much as I could about programming languages, about uh, uh, how they're implemented, how they're designed, um, about different programming paradigms, things like functional programming. Uh, got really interested in that and, yeah, ended up a software engineer. <laughs> so that pretty much brings us up to speed with today. Wow, that is quite a journey. I'm sure there's only a few people who've come from such a completely different background into computer science and into writing software. Now, Anjana, what are you most passionate about as a developer? Um, I think that probably one of the 
one of the most undervalued aspects that I've noticed in uh, in software development is the the human factor. So um, while I'm, you know, there's I could talk about like tons of technologies and you know things like, for example, from functional programming, whatever that I'm excited about. All of that stuff is written down and it's written a lot about. People spend a lot of time, um, you know, studying it and talking about it. But I uh, I think I've heard this 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 uh, phrase, you know, oftentimes that. That the the problem with with uh, working in software is that you have to talk to people and you have to go to meetings <laughs> and things like that. But I actually find that that's really some of the times I get the most excited about new things. That's how I find out about new things. And for example, at the Recurse Center, um, which I mentioned, that's a it's a really awesome space where basically people who are curious about new learning new things and improving their skills as uh, programmers, whatever that means to them can get together and do things like pair programming um, or, or even dojos, which is kind of like pair programming on steroids. Um, and, and when you're sitting down at a computer with another person and you're both forced to collaborate because you've only got one keyboard in front of you, um, it's really amazing the kind of conversations that come out of that and the kind of, the kind of uh, uh, ideas that, that get exchanged. So I really love that aspect of software development as opposed to just, you know, sitting at home on my own and, and working on a, a cool um, feature of a, of a particular language that I'm learning or something like that. The thing that really kind of gets me excited is working on it with other people. And it's so easy for us to forget that we're actually working with people. Everyone is so stuck in thinking that this is my keyboard and this is my screen, this is my work. And the whole human factor is simply neglected. Now, I'm sure you've experienced your fair share of highs and lows in your career. Can you take me to the worst experience you've ever had on a project? Well, um, I mean, I've had bad experiences in terms of, you know, the typical kind of like, for example, in grad school, when you have to do a group project and the group kind of falls apart for various unrelated reasons and those kind of struggles. But um, but I think one that's maybe a bit more interesting to talk about is uh, I remember the first time I tried to make a contribution to a big open source uh, project. I was at the Reeker Center. I was uh, we were you know we were encouraged to work on open source, and I had never contributed to someone else's code before. I had worked on my own little projects, and I had maybe used uh, open source projects to to build something new on my end, but I hadn't I really um, gotten involved as a contributor and I was so scared of it. I was so scared <laughs> of these, you know, sometimes you see these really kind of harsh uh, GitHub comment threads and things like that. Oh, and just yes. a lot of a lot of sort of assumed background knowledge that I certainly didn't have coming in with the, um, you know, my, my sort of eclectic background, as you mentioned, uh, which I had no foundations in kind of the the very fundamentals that anyone who's ever um, taken a computer science class would know. So I was really, really petrified of this. And uh, luckily, I was doing this uh, in a, a setting at the Reeker Center where everyone was really supportive and like, no, you can do it, you can do it. So I do it and I, I go through the slogging of, you know, the days of like configuring your dev setup and getting the thing to build and all of that stuff. And I spent like days working on this, this small little feature that I wanted to add and that the, the project uh, maintainer was, you know, in support of whatever. And then at a certain point, I had a complete wall. There was uh, basically something about the, the kind of my conceptual understanding of how the system was architected that uh, was wrong. And that kind of made my feature completely moot. Like it, it made no sense mm. anymore. And so all of this work I had done and all of this kind of, yes, I can do it, was just, just, just 
completely crashed and burned. Um, and I never ended up making that pull request, but I think that, and I think, and that was sort of a, you know, it's one of my, my great, uh, sort of the one that got away, um, story, but <laughs> I think that that really taught me something important about how, first of all, how hard it is just to make that first PR, you know, to make mm. that, to, to get used to a new project and to, to, in the same sense as maybe if you're being onboarded at a new company or if you're uh, whatever that context is, it's, it's, we really underestimate how much work you have to put in before you can write that first line of code. And then also like it was rough and I spent a day or so being like, oh God, this is pointless and I shouldn't do this. <laughs> but then, you know, you pick yourself up and I found some other, I think a, a week later or something, I found some other much, much smaller PR that I could do that, um, that I actually did get, you know, my first pull request filed. And that was <laughs> like such a stellar moment, even though it was much, much more bite-sized of a thing than, uh, than what I had originally set out to do. And that was also really important, I think, sort of learning um, what uh, what expectations are kind of reasonable to have for yourself. And that's the kind of thing I guess you can only learn by experience. So only or learn by having those kind of little heartbreak moments. <laughs> <laughs> and it's terrifying contributing to other people's projects. But the more that I talk to other devs about how they feel about their skills, the more I realize that we're pretty much all insecure and it's something we just need to get past. Now, something that I think a lot of people struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis is how to remain effective at work. Anjana, which method, tool, or service are you using on a daily basis that you'd hate to be without? Hmm. Um, I would have to say tests. <laughs> I, I love tests. I love my test suite so much when I'm working on a project. Um, and this is something that when I started programming uh, in the context of academia, and it was really all about building a piece of software that crunched the numbers to like put out the results table that you could just pump right into the publication and send to the journal, whatever. Um, quality assurance or, or kind of, you know, maintainability and, and sort of uh, these concept of kind of anti-fragility of software was not something I spent any time thinking about. And it wasn't really until I, uh, I did an internship this past summer at Mozilla on their engineering productivity team through the fantastic outreachy program, which puts um, women and other underrepresented groups uh, in internships with really important uh, open source organizations. So while I was in this internship working on the engineering productivity team, I was working on a, on a test harness. And so I started learning a lot more about testing, why we do it, how it works, what tools we can use for it. Um, I, I mostly, I do most, excuse me, I do most of my work in Python. So um, I use PyTest, which is a fantastic uh, testing framework because it's super lightweight and easy to get going, but it's also really powerful and lets you uh, do all kinds of cool things to make your life easier with, with running your, setting up your tests, writing your tests, running your suite, etc. Um, and nowadays, I can't imagine going back to a development workflow where I don't have all those nice little green dots telling me, yes, <laughs> everything is okay. The world is not going to come crashing down around you. And then even better, you know, the little red dots of like, yes, these mm. are the features which in a day or whatever will be green and you will be like feeling great about. 
I, I just, I, now I think of, of my tests, it's, it sounds really silly, but they're like my friends, they're there, they've got my back. They're like, yes, Anjana, everything is okay. We're going forward in the right direction. And um, yeah, I can't imagine going back to a pre-TDD uh, lifestyle. <laughs> so how do you approach your testing? How do you feel about the whole TDD versus BDD thing? I, um, I, I feel I have no dogmatic feelings about anything. And I'm probably, there are a lot of folks that, you know, uh, the way I do things wouldn't be considered proper um, test-driven development or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly. Mm. I don't have a master's degree in uh, TDD. So, I don't, <laughs> um, no, I, I basically, I mean, I try to follow a sort of a, just the most simple, you know, the little catchphrase, red, green, refactor, right? Mm. Write a test that, that encapsulates, you know, what it would take to be able to say, I have implemented this feature or whatever it may be, um, made this change. And then once you've got that test, which first of like, even having to think about how you would write that test, even if you don't actually write it, just thinking like, how would I even write it for me is a really important step into actually formalizing my thought process of, of what the feature will look like, what the implementation will look like for that feature. So um, then, you know, then you write it and then you get that first little green dot and you go, woohoo, and you pop the champagne. And we're like, okay, <laughs> maybe not every time, but, um, and, and then, you know, then the refactoring, I'm maybe a little bit uh, more lackadaisical about, but, uh, but that, that's always there down the line. And when you do make changes, you know, seeing those little green dots, um, like I said, it really feels like your buddies being like, yeah, we got you. Everything's still cool here. <laughs> Um, so, so I'd say that's sort of my, I, I follow in, in the sense that that is the, the, uh, kind of traditional TDD, um, I don't know, catchphrase for lack of a better word. I follow, I try to follow that, but I don't have, um, strong feelings about particular sub-processes, you know, what to, to, uh, how things, um, work best for each person, team, organization, I think is always different. So, um, I try to stay open-minded, uh, especially if I'm collaborating with other people or working on like, let's say an open source project, you know, how they want to do things is totally legit. And I'm, uh, I may do it differently myself, but I think, uh, you know, we're all, we're all trying to get to the same goal there. Yeah. And there's a lot of dogma out there that often leads to a bit of an ideological approach and pragmatism sort of gets left behind as an afterthought. Now, Anjana, where in your daily work do you still meet frustration? Where do you think there's room for things to be done in a in a more effective way? So I uh, I guess I meet a lot of frustration with the workflow deployment uh, kind of productionizing <laughs> <laughs> steps of the of the equation, as it were. Um, that's not something I know a ton about. You know, the, all of the all of this. The, this kind of DevOps explosion, I feel like, mm. that, has, that has kind of seemed to be happening recently since I'm, uh, I've been coming in kind of as an outsider to the field. And, and like I said, in, um, in my experience and kind of academic uh, software development for, for research purposes and things like that, there, there uh, wasn't a whole lot of uh, 
focus on, you know, getting your, your program in front of other people because it was really more for internal use, as it were. And so that's something that I personally feel like I could be much more efficient at. I know there's tons of tools out there that I don't know about that uh, really, you know, make developers' lives so much easier. So, like, I recently started learning how to use Docker and, and, and Rancher to, um, to, to develop a little workflow that, that kind of gets new versions of my, um, a small app that I'm building uh, live. And, and that already was just like such a revelation to me. Um, so I, I, it's just the tip of the iceberg really. Um, personally, that's something that I am curious about and know that there's tons of room for growth there, but it's also, I found something that's a little bit hard to get into because there are so many strong feelings about it. And, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of, uh, loud opinions that, that sometimes, um, drown out or, or sort of up the, the noise to signal ratio in terms of what are some simple tools that they won't make everything in your life a completely automatic miracle, but they will save you a solid five minutes, you know, six times a day or whatever. So I'd love to learn more about that. So in terms of new projects, libraries and frameworks, is there anything at the moment that's got you really excited? Um, well, like I said, in terms of the, the DevOps side of things, I, I don't know enough to really be able to, to, to say anything exciting about that. I, everything is new and exciting to me in that world. <laughs> um, but uh, what I am really excited about is some very cool things I feel like are going on in the, in the web world, which is also not the area that I spend you know, most of my days um, working on in hands-on. But as I mentioned, I had done an internship at Mozilla and have remained uh, kind of connected with them through their very cool tech speakers program, which is uh, a posse, as it were, of um, Mozilla enthusiasts, mostly web, uh, yeah. web developers and things like that, who go out and kind of uh, spread the word about really cool things going on uh, that Mozilla and, and other players in the web space are pushing forward. And so a lot of the things that they speak about, I am getting really excited about. There's tons of cool stuff going on with, you know, in-browser VR, A-frame, uh, web VR, things like that. And um, and then this, this uh, what to me is one of the most exciting things happening right now is this web assembly project uh, where mm-hmm. we're sur- suddenly going to be able to, you know, deploy things to the web in the front end, in the browser that we never would have even thought of as, as, have, as having as web-based technologies before. And I think what's really exciting about that is that it's impossible right now to see what amazing, cool ideas people are going to have and, and kind of run with this um, once the platform is a bit more established. So I'm really looking forward to see where that goes and how it develops. I think it's going to uh, going to be a very exciting time the next few years. So with all the new languages and the libraries that are coming out, how do you make time to keep up to date with all of the developments? How do you decide on what to learn and when to make time to learn? <laughs> well, I think one of the most important things is reminding myself that it is not possible to keep up or to <laughs> learn everything that's going on. Mm. Um, I really love uh, attending conferences. I love talking to people. I love um, hearing about people's projects and, and hearing them talk, especially when folks are excited about what they're doing, about what other people are doing. Um, 
I love having those in-person conversations and really getting face-to-face. Uh, maybe partly that uh, part of that is that I work remotely, and so I don't have a lot of face-to-face with my uh, my coworkers, uh, other than on uh, hangouts and that sort of thing. But I really uh, find that that going to conferences whenever I get the chance, uh, whenever maybe they're in town here in Berlin where I live, I'm blessed to have a really interesting um, dev scene here and lots of really world-class events, but also um, trying to, to, to submit talks and, and in that sense be able to uh, travel to attend these very cool meetups essentially where I can learn about things that I had no idea were happening. And usually what happens is I go to a talk, I, uh, I hear about something amazing that I had never thought about before. Um, and then I fall down that wormhole. So I wouldn't say there's any big, uh, top down, um, well thought out plan to my, my, uh, learning or new technology discovery strategy. I would say it's a, it's a series of curiosities and rabbit holes that I just keep, uh, stumbling into. (laughs) <laughs> and the exposure to all those speakers at the conferences, you're getting insight into what's going on on the cutting edge of the industry. I mean, those speakers are essentially mentoring you in fields that most of us are just never exposed to. Now, Anjana, is there a specific aspect about programming that you've learned that has dramatically changed the way that you think about and write code? Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, a lot of uh, the talks that that you see about new ideas coming in, for example, uh, you know, from the academic world in functional programming, um, there's some a lot of cool interactions there, and that kind of cutting edge stuff. Once you once even if you haven't understood it, and you just heard some talk that went ninety percent over your head, and you've just heard some some keywords and catchphrases and a bunch of Greek symbols you didn't understand. Um, even knowing that, that from that 10% that you did understand, there is another way of thinking about this and you don't have to, um, you know, it, for me, even like learning, learning that functional programming existed and that there was an alternative to just the do this, do that, do this other thing, put it in a class, um, <laughs> that sort of, uh, that sort of thing. The fact that there are other paradigms out there, regardless of which particular paradigm you are working in or want to be working in or whatever it is, the fact that there are other ways of structuring your whole um, kind of mental model, let alone actual computational model of your program and the interactions it comprises and the way they flow together, that really was kind of like mind-blowing for me. And I try to keep my mind open um, even when, you know, even when I've learned something new and I'm working in kind of a new paradigm I try to keep my mind open that this won't be the last. You know, there is all there is going to be something else out there, some other way of thinking about things that I haven't encountered yet, that, that no one has thought of yet, something like that. And so I think um, trying to stay conscious of the fact that whenever we are working, whether it's in a particular framework or in a particular uh, language or in a particular um, architectural dogma, as, as uh, we mentioned earlier, um, it is not the only way of doing things and there will be a better way of doing things at some point that will appeal to us for other reasons. I think trying to stay conscious of that is something that has really uh, made me a better programmer because I am more conscious of the choices that I'm making in the way that I structure my code. 
And also understanding that most of us are on a continual learning curve that really slows down. (laughs) And with that, we've come to the end of our first segment. Anjana, I'm about to throw some quick fire questions your way. Let's do this. What is the best advice about programming you've ever received? Probably the motto of the Recurse Center, which is never graduate. You're never done learning about program. Even uh, someone who has invented the computer is not done learning about programming. It's a constant work in progress. (laughs) Which personal habits do you attribute to writing better code? Well, I already mentioned TDD. Um, I think also uh, using those uh, tools out there like issue managers and that sort of thing that devs have a have a reputation for hating actually does help having things written down in an organized way in front of you in terms of what you need to do. Uh, staying organized, I'd say, is an important habit. Okay, now, have you managed to find an issue manager that doesn't make you want to tear your hair out? No, no. But I still think <laughs> even one that does make you want to tear your hair out is better than none. <laughs> yeah, I think there's an opportunity there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> If you could recommend one book on programming, what would it be and why? So fresh at the top of my mind is a book called Eloquent JavaScript. Uh, mm. It's, uh, I believe, eloquentjavascript.net uh, by Marin Haverbecker, whose name I probably just uh, butchered. <laughs> I'm really sorry. But it is a really great intro to programming, uh, intro to JavaScript. And it's also one of those great books that I read it after I had been programming for some time. And even though it was kind of covering basics, it, it really went in depth in a way that is, uh, I think, really unique for uh, books that managed to make the basic things simple and accessible to beginners, but also deep enough that there's still something interesting for experienced folks. Mm. Anjana, who in the front-end world is doing work that's really inspiring? So I like to, as I I said, I I really like to listen to all the cool things going on, for example, from the Mozilla crew and all the cool front-end stuff that they do. But I think back to some of the folks that I worked with at the Recurse Center when I was there. Uh, For example, one of my batchmates, Sherman Chong, is a front-end developer based in Singapore. And she uh, gives talks also at conferences about really cool things that are that are kind of exploring um, via visualizations that that front end work makes possible. Exploring some very cool aspects of math, things like fractals and trees and recursion and stuff like that. And I find that really inspiring. Um, it's a really great mix of, of the kind of visual evidence and the deep uh, deep sort of insights into those processes. All right, so let's reverse it a little bit over here. Imagine you wake up and you have no recollection of ever writing code. With your knowledge of tools, books, and courses available today, how would you go about learning to program from scratch? Mm. So I I think I would actually use one of the books that I used to, to, to get my first kind of dip my toe in the waters of programming, which was the Head First series. I think Head First Programming mm-hmm. was the name of the book. And... Um, and that was good because it's, you know, it's not scary to be at home with a book. There's no social pressure. You don't feel like you're going to look dumb in front of people. But that said, uh, having gotten a little bit of a first taste of code, I really wish when I had been learning to program, I had known about or had access to these excellent uh, intro to programming workshops uh, called, I guess, the, the Bridges. Things like Rails Bridge, 
Closure Bridge. I think they're starting Rust Bridge, and I've even heard of Go Bridge, maybe. These are um, kind of workshops that are aimed at sort of a weekend-long thing, sometimes targeted at women or a particular uh, group in tech. But basically, it's, it's a really safe, friendly way to sit down with other people who are just starting out and, and learn the basics and kind of bang your heads against the wall together. And I really wish I had had something like that when I was learning. Yeah, and programming is frustrating enough as it is, even when you think you know what you're doing. Anjana, mm-hmm. let's wrap things up today with a tip from you on how to work smart, the best way that we can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Sure. So how to work smart, I would say, going back to what I said earlier, work with other people. You know, pair with people, listen to their ideas, talk things over with your colleagues. Don't isolate yourself. For me, that's been a really important learning uh, learning tactic. Uh, and the best way to connect with me, I guess, um, on Twitter, my handle's simple. It's at Anjana Vakil. And there you can have a link to my blog and my website, which has all the other various uh, ways you can t- get in touch with me. And yeah, thanks very much. Uh, It's been a really nice uh, conversation. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and thank you for joining us. To everyone out there, you've been hanging with Anjana Vakil and Larry Buerta. Head over to fixate.it where you'll find links and timestamps for everything we've been talking about today. And Anjana, thank you for sharing your journey with Fixate on Code. Keep pushing the limits and keep pushing great code.